0: One guy got a pedal, and then, <laughs> then then the other guy had to get a pedal, and then I have to have another pedal because you have one. I have one more than you now, and, right, and my pedal's bigger, and my pedal does all this. Did something? Well, check this sound out. Out and make you. know, my pedal is this. My pedal is You know, and it's like uh, you know, like whatever. And, and through all that, like I felt like I'm like you know, I got I'm good, dude. Like this band is hard enough as it is, you know. <laughs>
1: Hey everybody, Keith Billick here with another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The guest for this episode is none other than Michael Bont of the band Green Sky Bluegrass. And I had a lot of fun talking to Mike. We had so much fun, actually, that we went a bit over time, and therefore I am breaking this episode up into two different parts. So what you will hear today is part one, the first half of my conversation with Mike. And episode, or the second part of the conversation, will be coming up shortly in the next few days or week. For those of you out there who are not familiar with the music of Green Sky Bluegrass, there's no other way to put it. They are boldly going where no bluegrass band has gone before. They've managed to become one of the more prominent bands in the jam band scene, which means their concerts feature a lot of freeform improvisation, vocal and instrument effects, a big light show, and of course a bunch of cheering, dancing fans. Through all of that, at least to my ears, they do remain at their core a bluegrass band that remain true to the the spirit of the music. And even if some of you disagree and think that maybe they're taking the music to places where it shouldn't go, there's no denying that they're exposing thousands and thousands of fans at all these places that they're playing that are normally reserved for headlining rock and pop acts, that they're exposing those crowds to the sounds of banjos and the sounds of dobros and guitars and acoustic music and bluegrass repertoire. But enough of me talking. Here's the interview with Mike Bont of Green Sky Bluegrass. As always, you can email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And also look for me on all the social media sites for any comments or questions that you might have for me. So here it is, Mike Bont of Green Sky Bluegrass. So
0: here we are in my uh, practice room. Thank slash, you for having slash me. guest bedroom.
1: All these instruments have too many strings on them. That's the first thing I notice about the place.
0: I know, I know. It's, uh, there's a lot of instruments on the wall, and you may notice not a single one of them is a banjo.
1: But that's okay. You, you have a good excuse. All of your banjos are being put to better use elsewhere. Yes.
0: In studios and... Yeah, we are. Yes, they're out I down heard. in the studio right now. Nice. Hanging out down there.
1: Are you guys recording a new album, or what are you doing in there?
0: Uh, yes, we are in the uh, process of working on some new stuff. Do you choose yeah.
1: a different studio every time? Is that sort of a thing you do purposely? It's it seems like because I know you were up here a couple albums ago. Yeah. For handguns. Yeah. And for, I, I don't know where this last one was recorded.
0: At the same uh, down in Echo Mountain, down okay. in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Okay, so you're and, digging uh, that place. Yeah, it's the, the studio itself. is so really, it's the sweet studio. It's um, a converted old uh, church. So there's like big stained glass windows and really high ceilings, a lot of natural wood. It has a really great sound. Is
1: it one room? Do you play live?
0: Um, no, there's the the main chapel. What I would refer to as the main chapel area is the main tracking room, and then at the back of the back of the chapel, there's a couple different rooms. Oops, there's a there's a couple different rooms where one is the the main. Uh, Mixing room, yeah, control, and then there's then there's a control room, and then there's another side room off to the off to the right of the control room, where I get stuck because I have to I have to be isolated because I play a banjo. Yeah, you'll bleed everywhere. Oh, exactly. You blow the whole take. You know,
1: I I have officially entered the Bont zone. Have you seen these new stickers?
0: Yes, the Bont zone stickers. Yes, I'm familiar with. Are those official? I mean, it's
1: I mean, like licensed merch, or am I in possession of? Contraband
0: No, I mean it's like Total like heady Like lap merch Yeah Yeah. This is what it is
1: That's how it happened with me Some hippie kid Just walked past me I was playing at the Fretboard festival Here in Kalamazoo A few weeks ago And a guy just hands it to me And I I thought it was great Finally banjo players Get our own sticker So hey, let's Let's talk about How you got into all this So, So we're sitting here In Kalamazoo This is where you Grew up more or less, right? Um, Are you from here?
0: I went to college here. I went to college here. Okay. And I came here in the mid-90s to go to college at Western uh, Michigan University, um, mainly because it was a party school, and all my (laughs) friends (laughs) um, were going there, too. And then spent more time uh, playing acoustic guitar on my couch at home than going to class. You weren't playing banjo yet? I wasn't playing banjo at the time, no. I um, really got into uh, jazz music. When I was in college and wanted to be a jazz guitarist, who were so, the jazz guys that you liked? Um, I love Grant Green. Yeah, uh, he's the man. He's kind of like my main man. Okay, um, as far as they, they, it's like my zone all the way. Yeah, you know,
1: he's a smooth dude. Uh,
0: yeah, but otherwise, you know, like Kenny Burrell, like the, the guys like like the, the really smooth, just awesome bebop guys. You know those yep. guys. But anyways, I was practicing to become a a world famous jazz guitarist when I had this realization that jazz guitar is really hard. <laughs> And, um, and world famous jazz
1: guitarist is almost as much of an oxymoron as world famous, famous banjo, banjo player. player right. right?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So you needed more of a challenge, is really what you're. Yeah.
0: Telling you. um, no, I just want. I think I just wanted something different. And I was always drawn to the sound of a banjo. There is a local 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 bluegrass band here in Kalamazoo called uh, Great Lakes Grass, and mm-hmm. Rock Bartley, the banjo picker for that band, who. Ironically enough, years later, builds my banjos now. Um, yeah, well, we will definitely wanna, get into talking you can about, talk that. about that. Um, but I saw him pick one night and I was like, that's cool, man. That's a cool sound. I want to learn how to, you know, I want to learn to do that. And then, you know, picked a, well, actually went the next, it was my birthday. It was like my 22nd birthday or okay. something like that. And the next day, went and bought a banjo.
1: Where'd you go for that?
0: Um, Music Galaxy. Okay. Here in Kalamazoo. No longer here, no longer a store here in Kalamazoo. Okay. Actually, I still own a bunch of stuff for music, actually. Actually, there's, I have an amp in my closet, this old um, Spectra, Dean Markley Spectra. It's, it's a collector's item, right? It, actually, it is a collector's item. It's from like the early uh, early 80s, I think, early 90s. Put it on eBay. Yeah. Buy no, some more banjos. No, wait, man. It's, actually, it's actually worse than money. It's, it's, it's like a solid state, like 280 watt, 212s. It's, oh, that's it's, a beast. It's a beast. <laughs> So Anyways. how
1: did you learn? How did you how did you transition from being this jazz guy to diving um, into bluegrass?
0: I went to Flipside Records here in Kalamazoo. There's this record store here in, uh, called Flipside Records. And they had a bluegrass section. And I would go into the bluegrass section and randomly pick out, out like bluegrass albums, like pick out Earl Scruggs and Bill Monroe yeah. and Hot Rise and the Seldom scene. And I would just randomly just... Look at the basically look at the instrumentation on the back, and if it had like flute or drums or it was out harmonica, it was out. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean. So,
1: so it sounds like you you approached it actually very similar to me. I started playing banjo and then decided, hey, if I'm playing this, I better figure out what I'm supposed to do with it. And then I checked out the music. Where I feel like a lot of people have it the opposite, where they are bluegrass fans and they like banjo, so they start playing it. It's kind of the opposite with us. Yeah. it Sounds like.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you buy the Earl Scruggs book, and it's like this like impossible puzzle of music that you that you can, If you're trying to learn a banjo, it's impossible to figure out. Like after you understand a banjo, that book makes sense. But boy, yeah. if you if like if you pick that up like and thinking like that's what you're going to learn from it, is like, it like is from a different era. You know, you know if you know what I mean. It has. Yeah, like, it's, it's really like it's not.
1: It's marketed as an instructional I actually, book, I but actually
0: have the original. I have the, I have the original album in my like record, a, a like, record. Like a record, the record of the, the. I think that actually helps. If you but okay. but like they don't make the, they don't make the like the recording of it but they, but if you have I have the original album from it in my collection
1: yeah I never tried to learn banjo from that book because yeah it's it not, doesn't make any sense it's not the best as an instructional guide but the real value to it is the songs. the songs section. transcribed
0: right once, once right. you know how to play the banjo then the book gets really cool because then all of a sudden you're, yep. yeah you're playing Pokemon breakdown
1: and yep. stuff, you know? note for note stuff mm-hmm. transcribed by uh, Bill Keith I believe. Needs the record, man. I'll just have you this follow is, me around yeah, and play right? play
0: all the tunes. You know, yeah.
1: So this actually brings me to one of our internet questions. I, I solicited internet questions. Oh, for good. you. Oh, good. Oh, good. Some are pretty interesting. Maybe we'll get to those.
0: Like what kind of what kind of candies do I like? And what Way size fre- pants do I wear? Way and, freakier than that. Yeah. Man. Okay.
1: Uh, from Reddit, TX Grung asks, "What was the first song you learned on the banjo?"
0: Uh. Blue Ridge Cabin Home, a well-beaten path on the old. That's is that Blue right. Ridge Cabin Home, right? Yes. Yeah. I remember that was the first. That was the first song I've been practicing a whole lot, and that was I was sitting on my front porch one morning, and I don't have a, I don't have a capo because it's an it's an A, obviously. Actually, that's that's the one that's radius. Actually, that might work. Is right? it? Yeah, that's the guitar capo. Go right? for it, man. Yeah. I just, I just remember like I would would um, that. Uh, like, to work that, on that, those that, that little... was like that was like remember like playing that role like is the one person that made sense right yeah, you hear the, the music come together when you
1: Did you have anyone uh, teaching you or you, you self-taught? I'm self-taught. Okay. Um, And then, so at some point, you ran into Dave and Paul, not too long after that, right?
0: Um, Dave and I have been friends for... Oh, you already knew him. I knew Dave, yes. Um, When I was just learning, and I just, after I, right after, even I think before I actually learned Blue Ridge Cabin Home, I was... At this jam, went to my roommate took me to this jam session, and this I remember this really oddly warm February day. It was like seventy degrees, and like in like February, yeah, one of those days, yeah. And it was nineteen ninety nine. Um, took me to my friend's apartment, and Dave was there playing guitar, and we played. I don't remember, don't remember what we played. We played a couple, like I think like Little Circle, Be Unbroken, or something okay. like that. And we had kind of met, and he was actually going out. He was going to school out in the East Coast. Um, at the time. And so I w- I, he wasn't around, um, basically. And, and he would come around every so often, and we'd get together and we'd jam. Okay. Um, there's this place called the Cooper Cafe, which I don't know if you know about the Cooper Cafe. I don't. Out here in Cooper. They're uh, world famous. On the, I think it still happens uh, every Wednesday and Saturday. Um, Lonesome Moonlight Trio. Okay. A uh, string band uh, goes there and bluegrass. It's called Bluegrass Breakfast. Uh, <laughs> I have heard of Bluegrass, bluegrass Breakfast. Breakfast. Okay, yes. this I is the, this the legendary, the legend of Bluegrass Breakfast. Yes, excellent. Is 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 the, those three guys, Pete, Pat, and Jimmy? Okay. Um, Pat, the banjo player, used to work at Gibson, um, and he was one of the few people that would like let Bill Monroe or Bill Monroe's mandolin. Would come in to get serviced, and he was one of the couple people that Bill would request to have work on his mandolin. He was allowed to touch it. He was allowed to touch it and work. Has like pictures of him with like working on Bill Monroe's mandolin. You know, for all those people out there looking for. There's a Kalamazoo connection right there. If you don't know, Um, yeah, Kalamazoo. Not only is
1: it a real place, but it's a very important place, especially for bluegrass history. Bluegrass
0: history, exactly. Um, And then there's guitar and. Pat or Pete played the guitar and Jimmy played the mandolin, and they do, do this always cool, this cool always cool old timey songs. And you would go there and eat pancakes and have coffee and listen to this cool music, and tunes. we'd do it like every Wednesday and or Saturday if we could, you know. Yeah. And then we'd go jam after going to have bluegrass breakfast. After you're you know? kind of inspired, you're kind and of inspired, right? Belly full of pancakes, exactly. Belly full of pancakes. Very nice. Oh, and then, and then so Dave and I had been doing a couple. We some, we we got together and learned, started started learn some tunes together. When he officially was done with school out in the East Coast and moved back to Kalamazoo, we started a, a band or we started picking together and we learned a couple tunes and we started doing a couple open mics. And a friend of ours who was playing the mandolin at the time, kind of with us. Not I mean not not great, but he was he was playing with us. Yeah. Um, had the idea like why don't you be a cool head of bluegrass. If you had a bluegrass band, it was called Green Sky Bluegrass. And now he's making
1: just boatloads of royalties. And now he's just making of, boatloads yeah. of royalties. Yeah. Sh- well, uh,
0: yeah. Checks in the mail, dude. Checks in the mail, dude. I swear. Yeah, right? Um, so, so the stuff
1: you were playing back then, is it was, again, like, will the circle be unbroken? Just these real uh, kind of typical traditional ones that you encounter. Yeah, it was, like, yeah it, was like, it was like hot
0: corn, cold corn, Yeah, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay yeah man hot corn cold corn
1: so then green sky bluegrass was was born and in case we lost anyone the The Dave that we've been talking about is Dave Bruza, who is still your bandmate to this day. To this day. um, Guitarist uh, with Green Sky Bluegrass. So that's how it was born, was a a, a couple of guys going to Bluegrass Breakfast around Kalamazoo. Now, of course, I met all you guys sort of a little bit after that, when we were both kind of starting to play cuz you're, you're clubs and cuz you were
0: playing in a band called Hot to Middy. we were at the time and we yeah so there's yeah you, you people might may not know this but Keith and I have known each other for probably almost 20 years
1: right right <laughs> and and it was very cool because as a relatively young person learning how to play bluegrass and exploring this stuff to meet to meet you guys who were i feel comfortable saying we were kind of on the same skill level we were both learning sort of learning, learning all yes. together we were both kind of in the same social crowd, yep. so it worked really well to to be able to swap gigs and even swap band members if if somebody couldn't make it. We did. Yep there there was that. that there
0: was that one time where I cut I cut my finger. Yeah,
1: you were cooking. I, my, I was cooking and I,
0: I cut my finger at work and I had to call you in to play the gig at was it Billy's in Easttown? I don't I know. Think, I think it was Billy's in Easttown.
1: Yeah, it, it could be. And then, I, I remember and, that happening. And, and, and
0: then, and then you, of course, you played my, at my wedding too. You still did in for the banjo at my wedding. Yes, yeah, so I, so. I was basically you yes. a, a couple a, different a couple, times. A couple different times. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah that was fun. <laughs> so yeah, the band's starting out back then. You're you're playing bars. How does it evolve from there? How do we get to where to where we are now?
0: Um, what were some okay, of? the... Okay, so so Dave and I are playing a couple open mics. There's one open mic where this. Uh, this is my this is my favorite story where uh, this. Long-haired hippie kid with the Mister T equivalent of hippie bling, um, uh, approaches <laughs> well, like, hemp, hemp up, like hemp necklaces, like hemp necklaces. Yes, I guess that's that's what that's what I'm trying. Yep, the hemp necklaces approaches us after Dave and I do an open mic at Papa Pete's one night, okay. and said he just he's like he's like hi my name is Paul I just got a mandolin I really like David Grisman can I come jam with you guys sometime We said yeah and. And there you have the rest it. Is history. Yeah. yeah, there you have it. Well, and this will happen is that Paul actually Paul writes really good songs too. You know, actually Paul and Dave both write both like really good songs. That does help. It does help. Yes,
1: I, I do remember hearing you guys a lot back then. Um, you guys sang really well together too, and that's still something that
0: yeah the kind was that, of a
1: signature like, part of the sound.
0: That was actually something that Paul Paul was uh, one of his greatest. Uh, one of the best things that he brought to the initially to the band was uh, he was a, a singer mm-hmm. in in high school. He was big into choir and trained and properly, like, trained singer. And okay. he was the one that kind of taught us like how to sing together, like with like harmonies and stuff like that. Where you know what notes to sing when we were trying to figure out how to sing harmonies together.
1: Yeah, that's very you valuable.
0: Know? Yeah, and you um, know, and when you've been singing together as long as we have, it's like to to have that blend. You know, it takes doesn't doesn't always doesn't happen overnight. That's right. for sure, you know.
1: Yeah, even back then, I thought that was one of your guys' strong traits.
0: Well, and we and, we, um, we played really fast too. That was that was the one thing. Like we sang well together, and we played really fast.
1: <laughs> that's what people want to hear.
0: Man, I can I can still play really fast, man. Like I I still think it's like it's like one of the there's a lot of moments where we're playing live and when the band's like count it off fast and play it fast and I'm like okay and they they're not they're not ready for the, how fast it is. They keep up with the old guy is what it's called, you know.
1: <laughs> well, that's Man, that's the advantage we have, though. Well, fast, we have three fa- picks. There's, 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 different, there's different
0: levels of fast, though. There's fast and out of time, and then there's like, you know, metronome, like snare drum fat, like just like that. You know, there's the zone. The well, that's pocket. the
1: crazy thing. If you listen to these old Flatt and Scruggs recordings, Lester sounds so relaxed with his singing, and the band is so in the pocket that it sounds slow. It sounds so relaxed, yeah. and then you try to play along with it. You're like, oh, it's, it's a lot faster. Than I can't you even think. keep up. It's a lot
0: faster than you think it is. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It sounds very relaxed for how fast they're actually playing. So that's that's always kind of been a a goal of mine is to get to that point where it just sounds so easy.
0: Well, it's pretty. It's pretty easy. You know, he's got to he's got to practice. I Maybe mean, he's got to practice more.
1: Yeah, it definitely takes some endurance. Met- and metronome.
0: Metronome. That is the number one th- key. There. Did you always?
1: Practice with a metronome pretty regularly. I did for a long time. Uh, what uh, what kind of things did you do? What was your approach to
0: it? Was it was, it was basically for the spacing of time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I, th- I feel like a lot of uh, people when they start playing, they actually pl- you play too fast. They play they they rush the, anti- the the notes between the notes. I agree. And and what you need to do is have that like like a relax. I talk it like about like playing like a, like a. Everything has to be very, very like spaced evenly for it to sound good, and that's how you get get the roll going. And what I mentioned, if you're going, it's going click, 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 click. click. you how how like even that that feels, you know, And and like it's how people tend to like... They want. They want. They want. They want to rush all that, and it's how hard it really, really is to just be like, click, click, uh, click, 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 click. Right, click. and you know uh, how hard that—that's really hard to stay in that groove and not like get ahead of it or get behind it.
1: Right, and not—not you know? not to. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but people who who play with that characteristic—the fast and out of time. It's pretty obvious that they. Tried too hard to play fast yeah. before they could play slow.
0: It's a lot harder to f- play fast and in time. That's that's yeah. where that's where the whew.
1: yeah, but it, it'll make but, you but, seasick but, if if off. But but, but, but
0: but it's also one of those things. But that that if you can play fast and in time on a banjo, it's like you're just like just like chugging down the. Tr- and that's and there's that you know that's one of the I think one of the coolest feelings in banjo. is like you want to, you ban- obviously the banjo wants to be fast. Yeah. You know? and, but if you could play fast and in time, like there's nothing isn't.
1: Especially when you have a good rhythm section. If you section, have a really good rhythm section. You're warmed yeah, up and yeah. you can
0: just, just
1: yes, cruise I just along. Said, I just said doo-doo. Dang it. Anyways. That, that's the magic of editing. Yeah. We yeah. can... Do you want to answer another Reddit question? Sure. This one's from
0: Big Wooly Samson. Big Wooly Samson. We used to have a cat named Samson. It's almost his favorite cat.
1: Was the cat Big and Wooly?
0: He was. A big orange cat.
1: Well, apparently Samson. the cat found a way to sign up on Reddit. Mm-hmm. And he's now emailing from the, questions. From the,
0: other, from the afterlife. I love that. That's, that's what good. Reddit is. Send me your address <laughs> from heaven. That's, that's what it is, right?
1: Well, at any rate, uh, your, your dead cat wants to know, What's the beginner advice you wish someone had given you?
0: Man, you know, um, I think I just explained my that, like that the fact that that's the time. And actually, um, I think the one thing that I would say is when you're learning the roles and it says thumb one two thumb one, like actually do that. Don't <laughs> if it feels easy. I know if it says t if it says t and you want to play the one. Don't, there's a reason for it, because, because with the way that a, a banjo works, sound-wise, you always want to lead the beginning of the measure with your, the plastic thumb pick, because it sounds different than the two metal index and middle finger yeah. picks. It sounds so, different. So, and you and you can so when you... that dun dun that's all that, that that and you can't get that same sound with the metal the metal picks exactly yes yeah. that's, that's the one thing I was like that's really important to pr- not only practice the rolls in time which I would like to point out those rolls are in time as well but right. most notes that were standing out were all the notes that were with that plastic thumb pick <laughs>
1: yeah you know? allows you to have more control over the accents yeah. of your playing yeah for and, sure. and
0: and then, when, then and then when you get to the point where you're unlearning the rolls then your technique is proper like, that's what happened to me i learned the banjo uh, a couple different times, I guess, so to speak, because you're I did. I, I didn't subscribe. I didn't want to like do my thumb there because I thought you know leave my thumb there or play my index there or play it because I thought it was easier to do this finger, you know. And mm-hmm. now and then, once you actually learn how to play the banjo correctly, there is technique is a real thing in the banjo, especially when you're playing a lot of notes very quickly.
1: Right. That yeah. What I what I tell people is you have to learn those roles so internally, yes. Because if you had if you had to take time to think about every note that you're playing at 160 beats per minute,
0: yeah, it's hopeless. You are, you're yeah, not going to do. Yeah, because yeah, as as a as a banjo as a more advanced banjo player, you're out. You're already thinking a couple of measures ahead of where you're at because you're you're going to be there really soon. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's like learning
1: things by ear. You press play and before you can even get your hand on the instrument, you're about 16 notes behind. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. really, uh, it can be pretty frustrating. Yeah. So when you were going through and finding all those CDs at the record store.
0: Um, Flipside record store. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Flip side. That
1: one. Who'd you find? Like who, who, who really influenced you in those early years? Did you have any people that you modeled your playing after?
0: The first two off the cuff bands you were obvious for me were uh, Hot Rise and The Seldom Scene. Those are two, those are two like my big favorites. Live at the Cellar Door is probably one of the greatest, you know, obviously one of the greatest bluegrass albums. Yeah.
1: I remember you being really into that. Yeah. How much of an effect do you think that has? Your band is pretty well known these days for translating like pop and rock songs into your show and kind of bluegrassifying. That, that, it.
0: A lot of that has to do with that seldom sit down. We really liked the playfulness of what they were okay. doing compared to like, you know, we love hot rise too. You know, like that was, mm-hmm. that was one of the other things we used to do a lot of like hot rise songs, but you know, I really liked the, that down in particular. I really loved the playfulness of uh Live at the cellar door for me. That was in like my Barney one of my favorite, favorite first bluegrass. Yes. Yeah, it's
1: it's a very good one.
0: Besides, um, besides like foggy mountain jamboree, that's that one of my other like super super okay super like, favorite yeah, ones. That's I mean, classic. Yeah,
1: but I just remember they were also known for adapting rock tunes, and maybe, yeah. that was that was probably pretty. I don't know if I'd say controversial, but sort sort of off the beaten path at the time. Yeah, John Duffy, Duffy was tunes. doing
0: really weird mandolin stuff, right. and John Starling would like his his vocals were amazing. Yeah, you know I was like we had really good songs. And Ben Eldridge, his band would play. I always like, us he was like this cool mix of like old and new. He like played would like play a lot of like the old kind of licks, but he also like a chromatic like... You know, he would like to like, like that like, melodic kind of stuff though too. Right. You know, he but then he would. You know he would do like that kind of stuff you know he yeah, like that do, was- had that cool mix of like both like the like you know that great not not all era, bill yeah. keith but not but not all earl scruggs you know he had this like cool mix you know
1: yeah then of course aldridge uh one of the best dobroists
0: yeah of all time so another guy and, and tom gray the awesome bass player of tom gray of course
1: right yeah let's not forget him so you play with a dobro player anders beck the dobroist in your band i've played quite a bit with dobro players how do you approach that? Because I've I've found that sometimes it can actually be kind of tricky to have two separate instruments that are both three-finger-picked uh, instruments.
0: Three-finger-picked three finger instruments. Plucked. I wanted plucked. to say pluck, and then I plicked. switched to you plucked, pluck. You, you, oh, man. Uh,
1: so do you guys ever have conversations about how you're approaching either backup to different instruments or... Oh uh, yeah! Has actually. that ever been a thing? there, there is. With? There
0: is. This um, directly leads to my musical technique segue of, of how to how to back up a fifteen-minute-long dobro solo. <laughs> okay, so there's this thing where so an honors is taking a solo, for example,
1: and, and um, this is again Anders back dobro player. So, so, so we have, we, we have a
0: couple of rules of the band when there's a mandolin solo going on, the dobro always chops okay. because because a we all feel like a dobro chop. With this, like, chow, chow, sounds a lot better than going. Yeah. It just doesn't sound to us, it never sounds. You know. Yep. That's the That was like the first. That was the first rule. And whenever that's happening, I'm just doing like a basic like roll behind. Just real simple marking time, solid. Yeah. Right. I'm marking time. Like, and he's doing whatever. I'll, I'm not trying to embellish. I'm just misfile marking time, basically. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, there's a technique where the, the third technique is when honor is taking a dobro solo and Paul is chopping. He's responsible for the rhythm. Duvall and I can move the music using what I call double stop uh, scale patterns. Okay. Um, so if you're playing in G, for example, playing in G, in G right now. Yeah. So so if you play up the fretboard and um, double stops. Um, you you you're, you can you can move the music but not full, so you can be like
1: sorry and, and so just to to narrate what's happening here so yeah i think that's called the the harmonized major scale, where you're you're only playing notes that are within the G, with, major, the scale, G major scale, but, but that, that are in, in harmony thirds. with
0: each other. Yeah. yeah, and 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 you can change the way that harmony sounds if you come across like a minor chord. You know, you kind of can change how like the uh, chromatically between the whole thing. I mean, right. but But the but the whole basic principle of it is like, um, like. Diatonic or like harmonic note, <laughs> and that's I, how my low string. You know, <laughs> you know, and that's it's like there's a lot you can do with that, like. If you're just playing G, and you can play all that, mm-hmm. and you can move the, you know, that's kind of like a, a really easy example of uh, duh, duh. right? And, and, so like, key. imagine the bass is going doom, 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 boom, boom, boom. And the you know, like, and, and I are very key to... Does he try to follow you, or you follow we, we each other? Kind of, rather, we kind of fo- we kind of instinctively follow each other in like this weird. You I know. We, you know okay. whenever, when we, when we lock up, we usually get into something cool. You know, it's.
1: And then, how do you decide when you're going to do that? Is that when the Dobro is kind of picking up steam, and you feel like it needs some extra it's action just, it's, happening? It's more or?
0: just the way that we play. It's the way that we that we like to push and pull music. You know, mm-hmm. it's it has to do like when's it time for me to do more? When's it time for me? Because a lot of time is going.
1: So you're actually more likely to do something like that when we're still talking about under the 15 minute. Under I mean, 15 minute,
0: Durbo so yeah. And and like it's you. And it's all about the way you you phrased you. Phrase, you uh, the what's the what's what's the word I'm looking for? The way that you when so like when you you can do a C here, you got to do a C here. It's called a an inversion, an inversion of it. Yes. Yeah. So like this, like it all depends on how you want to do the inversion too. So you can go. You know, and like, and that moves the music in a cool way too. where I'm yeah. just playing a bunch of C's, or like what I like to refer to as the Danny Barnes trick, where like playing a bunch of G's. It's nice. <laughs> just all G, yeah. Hard to like, go wrong like, with that. Even that sounds cool, right? That's a, That's like a bunch of Gs. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a cool trick to have and then to experiment with what places it tends to work to, for. To use them, and yeah,
0: and, and not overuse them. That's the other part, too. You can't overuse them in a show. Like You can't use them in every song, obviously. So yeah. you have to decide when the time for Pick that, your spots. that happens. Yeah,
1: Right. So how about, did you have more to say about the 15-minute Dobro solo? Or is, or is that mostly you tend no, t- I mean, t- 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 to th- add the th- color? Th- that's,
0: that's like a lot. Tech, like a lot of time I use that technique a lot because you know, because you can just go. I mean, you know, but that gets boring after. Sure, say so bigger. Go-
1: So the key is, for you listeners, look up the harmonized major scale, or maybe I can do another podcast just about that. But a lot of what Mike is doing, um, he, he's adding embellishments, but at the root of it is yeah. this progression of diatonic chords.
0: Um, those, like the, those two. There's those. so many uses for that, too. Yeah, And then you get the... Then you can do it in the D scale, you know. It's like there's a, right. there's the, all the fretboards. Like that's just in the G scale. Then there's the one, the same thing in the C scale. Then there's the one in the, the A scale and the in the D scale. You know, all F scale. Yeah, and it's F and so it's F the F same
1: style. pattern as long as
0: you start as as long long you, in yeah. the
1: right place. So that's the Dobro backup trick. That's
0: the That's the Dobro backup trick. Any Dobro or mandolin, a mandolin solo to Guitar, I generally try to lay down the most competent rhythm I possibly can. Okay, and then that, and that's when that's when honors will take over the embellishments because. Because over, over time, this is going to go. Like, that kind of, like, we've always found, like, that's the most powerful thing. Because, like, when you take out the rhythm, there has to be a lot of, there has to be rhythm coming from somewhere. Sure. And that's a really easy way to keep the rhythm going. It's yeah. Not do, not do a lot. Just do, mm-hmm. just do nothing. And just roll the basic chord forms.
1: Yeah, hear your band almost as a big drum set. Someone needs to be the snare. Someone needs to be the kick. Someone needs to be the hi-hat. Someone needs to do the fills every once in a while. Yep, yep. So something we may not have touched on yet is the reason you're in a situation of backing up 15-minute dobro solos. Tell people what it's like to be at a Green Sky Bluegrass show. And spoiler alert, it's not the same as going to see a... um, a Blue Highway show, yeah, I, or a yeah, Recky Skag oh show. And those are great bands. So yeah, what are Green Sky Bluegrass shows like for um, the uninitiated?
0: They're fun. They're fun. They're a mix of like a lot of genres of music, and no show is the same. You're never going to get the same songs. We have really awesome fans. It's real family oriented, but also really fun. People are always really surprised that we're a Bluegrass band. <laughs> Um, or whatever we do, you know, we do our thing, man, and like that's what the, the the Dobro backup trick. Like that's exactly like where's all this rhythm coming from? You know, that's a perfect example where, like, even though I'm playing chords and stuff, like I'm definitely playing very rhythmically over. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the other part of it too. It's like you, you know, you can dull that all that diatonic stuff, but it also has to be very it has to be in time too. It, it has to make sense.
1: Yeah, th- I mean, that really goes for anything that we might talk about yes a- above all else play it in time don't rush and that's at least
0: yeah and unless unless you rush then don't rush <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah i mean how how i would describe it is is much closer to like a fish concert yeah, it's, we, have,
0: we have a light show. There's a and light we have, show. It's really loud. The, the, it, there's affected acoustic instruments. And right. as half the time, you don't know what sound is coming from where. <laughs> um, but through all that, the banjo remains constant and clean and clear and acoustic. I was awesome. going to ask
1: you about that. Because for, for all the uh, effects that your bandmates might use, I feel like you are most rarely heard using that what why is that
0: or the year this developed into this thing where i've realized that a lot of what i do is more like playing piano hmm. and doesn't matter no matter how many effects you have in the band to have an acoustic piano in the band is is definitely doesn't matter you know what i mean to have that it always uh, to have to have that root i think okay. i think that, i think that's part of the thing to have that there's always that, the acoustic root in our band is the banjo and because mm. and because directly from what I just demonstrated with the Anders backup trick, it's like it's like it's like piano like you know, in almost in a way where like I'm like rolling through chords and right. you know, and it's and but it's always acoustic and pleasant.
1: Yeah, you keep on stressing and banjos. And banjos just
0: don't sound good with effects. Like it's it's like weird to get a, an affected banjo to you know you have to like play like actually an electric banjo almost to be able to and go with like MIDI like that stuff's cool as hell. Yeah. But you have to actually like, I always like the, just like the having, I don't know, it's just always been my shtick. I don't know. I wear a white t-shirt and I play acoustic banjo. Keeping it real. Electrified.
1: <laughs> so even though you are keeping it all natural, how did the band develop into that? How did you go from playing Will the Circle Be Unbroken at open mics and all that to having stomp boxes and synthesized vocals? I remember you guys starting to use acoustic amps on stage and that was kind of a step and then after you start doing that maybe Dave tries to have a distortion box or a reverb box or a delay box and then it seems like it has just slowly gone from there is that how it worked?
0: that's exactly how it evolved it was just like one guy got a pedal, and then, <laughs> then then the other guy had to get a pedal, and then I have to have another pedal because you have one. I have one more than you now. And right, and my f- pedal's bigger. And my pedal does all this. this well, check this sound out and make it. Yeah. You know, my pedal is this. My pedal is. You know, and it's like, uh, you know, like whatever. And and through all that, like, I felt like I'm like, you know what, guys? I'm good, dude. Like, this band is hard enough as it is, you know? <laughs> I don't need to learn how to. Do things with my feet. uh, I just wanna be able to pick rhythmically and not play out of time, man. That's hard enough. (laughs) Especially when we like we push and pull you push and pull time a lot. It's really, you know, just to stay be able to stay in that pocket is really or to be accepting of it.
1: Someone needs to be the the reference point. Yeah. But was that ever a discussion or a decision? Did you guys have to sit down and say, Hey, look, if we keep doing this, we're never gonna get hired for the um
0: no, it's never the been yada, yada It's never Festival. been like that. Like we've always felt like, you know what? If you want us to play behind one microphone, we'll kick everybody's butt still because we are an awesome acoustic bluegrass band. We mm-hmm. work a microphone like nobody's business. But that that was a different that was a different band for us. You know, like if you didn't know us for since the very beginning, we actually were a one mic acoustic bluegrass band for when we first our our inception was through that. You know, like yeah. that's how we won the Telluride band mm-hmm. contest is because we. Worked the mic. We 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 were just we were about four inches closer to the microphone than any other band in that contest, and that's the secret right there. Why? Because we were louder than any other band Ooh. in the contest. Well, the, well, this the, the the well the song selection too. Like it has to be right. Like you know you know obviously we are obviously for us we it was right because see where we've come since then. You know I, you yeah. know and it's not like that for everybody. You know. Was that
1: the pivotal moment for you guys? Did you did you feel like that was the biggest difference in terms of going from a band that was just kind of working the the bars to a band that was now being taken seriously?
0: It was it and was getting it was, good bookings. It was definitely from the val from like the validation, like the fact that we won this, and it was like okay, so we actually are pretty good. All right, yeah. all right, we're, we are doing something. Okay, gave us some confidence gave us some confidence. That's yeah, great. Like, like like we were doing something. Yeah.
1: And that's where we're going to press pause on the conversation with Mike Bond. That was only the first half. There's plenty more banjo talk to come. Check back shortly for the second half of that conversation. And in the meantime, feel free to email the show at PickyFingersBanjoPodcast at gmail.com with any comments or questions or suggestions. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.